0: Well, as I said, it's good to be back. I um, had lunch just a couple of days ago with Pastor Jim, who stood in this pulpit in my place last Sunday, and he told me that you behaved yourselves reasonably well in my absence, and so for that, I I thank you. Uh, Pastor Jim's just been a a tremendous friend and encouragement to me, and I was glad for the opportunity to have him here. I've heard that he he had a wonderful word for this congregation last Sunday. Today, I want to go back to the series of sermons that I was looking at as together we explored, have been exploring the book of 1 John. It's the Apostle John's essay about the message of Jesus. And throughout the the book, as we've read, uh, you'll recall that John boils his ideas down to some very, very basic principles. I feel like his goal here is to simplify the matter, to remove all these unnecessary shades of gray that we encounter in life, and to remind us that many of the things that God has for us are uncomplicated. They're straightforward. And John does this by reminding us of the message of Jesus, which he says is the only means of gaining that rich, eternally blessed life the life that God intended us for and designed us for. John has given us many tools along the way that will help us identify a genuine relationship with God so that we can be more confident about the transformation that takes place in our lives as we submit our lives to God. John is kind of saying to us, he's saying, hey, this is what you can expect along the way. He's saying, this is what you should be looking for so that you know you're taking the right direction. Now, in the passage we're going to read today, chapter 4 of the book, John's going to dig even deeper on the issue. There are a lot of voices in the world that claim to speak on God's behalf, aren't there? In John's day, just like in our day, there's no shortage of people who profess to be experts on God. And so the question for folks like you and I is, well, who do we trust? Who do we listen to? Who do we ignore? How can we tell the difference between the fools and the fakes and the genuine thing? And here's John's best advice on those kinds of questions I'm going to read to you now from 1 John chapter 4 in its entirety. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If everyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm going to pause for a brief anointing here. Ah, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will all have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's put the bookmark right there. We'll turn to chapter 5 next Sunday. But for now, let's just... Consider what we've read. What does a genuine relationship with God look like? How can you spot the real thing? That's the question I asked before we read from this chapter. And so I think having read the chapter, we need to start here. A genuine relationship with God always glorifies Jesus. It always, always, always glorifies. Glorifies Jesus. John made that very clear. He put it this way in the second and third verse. He said, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. In other words, this is how you can recognize that what's being said is genuinely sourced in the character of God. He says, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's very straightforward, isn't it? It's very clear. It's very cut and dry. It's very black and white. There's no nuance there. There's no shade of gray. It's this is this. And that is that he goes on to say that the inability to acknowledge Jesus for who he actually is, is a sign of the Antichrist. I think when a lot of Christians think about the Antichrist, we think about the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. And the question I receive most often about the Antichrist is how will we know the Antichrist when he appears? Well, John would say, oh, he, he already has appeared. You see, you remember his spirit is already here. The spirit of the Antichrist. This comes from the spirit Of the Antichrist. This is an important thing for us to understand because we live in a world that is filled with complicated nuanced shades of spiritual gray. We are conditioned to presume that there are many equally valid ways to encounter the divine or many equally valid ways to embrace divine wisdom, transcendent wisdom. But John is telling us in very clear terms that that is not the case. The truth is much less complicated than that. Actually, it's black and white. We can use words like I've already used today, words like John has used, words like every and always and never. We can use those kinds of absolute words because the truth is just that absolute. Every godly voice acknowledges the truth that Jesus was God become flesh. Godly voices always affirm this about Jesus and those who don't never speak with God's authority. And those kinds of absolutes just aren't very popular in the world we live in, are they? They just weren't that popular in John's day either. Those kinds of things, the always and the nevers and the, and the everys are controversial. They're offensive even. Don't believe me? Watch, I'm, I'm gonna offend a few folks here, okay? Muslims tend to be wonderful, caring, compassionate people. I love Muslims. They are often sincerely committed to their faith, and it places a high emphasis on on charity and hospitality. Their holy book, the, the Quran, teaches that Jesus was a wise and godly prophet, that Jesus was second in importance only to Muhammad himself. But the Quran vehemently denies that Jesus was God in flesh. And so what must we conclude then? Well, John would say that the teachings of Islam find their source in the spirit of Antichrist. Black
1: and white.
0: How about members of the Church of Latter-day Saints? Mormons, as we would call them. I like Mormons. They tend to be very kind and upstanding people. How moral character. Their ethics often align very closely with Christians because of our common views on a variety of social issues. Mormons even believe that Jesus is the divine son of God, but they don't believe that he was always that way. Instead, they teach that he was created by God, just like you and I were, and that he gradually worked his way into a divinity on par with God's. And while they think that the Bible is a pretty good book, They don't believe that it is perfect and therefore they have added their own modern scriptures to it. According to John, then we must conclude that the Mormon faith finds its source in the spirit of the Antichrist. I could go on here. But you're already relatively uncomfortable, so maybe I'll stop. We could discuss the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Hindu faith or the modern secular worldview that teaches that any religious path traveled sincerely will lead to some understanding of godly wisdom. But in each case, I could show you exactly why John would say, nope, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Don't listen to them but I've probably already offended enough people to make my point. Here's the bottom line. According to John, according to the Bible, there's no such thing as a godly perspective on life that just happens to miss the point on Jesus. there's, There's no such thing. Failure to understand and affirm the biblical truth about Jesus. Failure to honor and glorify the name that is high above every other name. Failures like these are meant to be red flags. If you're looking to hear the truth about God, look somewhere else. Them. But if you found a source of godly wisdom that knows how to speak the truth about Jesus, well, there's still a few other things that you need to be on the lookout for. And John says a genuine relationship with God always cultivates love. It always cultivates love. Let me tell you why. When I was in college, I've been thinking a lot about my college days this week because I just dropped my daughter off to begin her college days. And I was remembering that I went to college in in St. Louis and one of my favorite activities, pastimes with my friends there, we would save our college money up and we would buy tickets to the hockey game. Started cheering for the St. Louis Blues in those days, and some of you are still mad about it. Uh, You're praying for my conversion, and that's just kind of how that's gonna go. But we would save up our money, and we would buy the cheap seats up at the nosebleed section, and whenever we could afford to, we'd go watch the hockey game. Typically, this is how this would go. Two or three of my friends and I would decide, oh, we're gonna go see a game, and we would look at the schedule to find a team, a visiting team that we particularly wanted to see, check to make sure we all had the day off of work, save up our money, and and decide this is the date that we're going to buy the tickets for, and then we would tell our other friends, "Hey, we're going to go see the blues play on such and such a date. Do you guys want to come with? Because it's always more fun to go to the hockey game with a group, right? It's always more fun to go with a group. And so we, you know, let folks know. And some would say, "Yes," and say, so, oh, "I'm working. I can't," or oh, "I don't want to spend the money. I can't do it." Whatever. But we, you know, usually get a few other folks to come with. And there were some folks that, you know, were big hockey fans, and so predictably they would want to come more or less every time. And there were some folks that really, you know, okay, if it's convenient, maybe I'll come. We had one friend that you could pretty consistently count on being up for going to the hockey game with us, uh, and, and his name was Bart. And the interesting thing about going to the hockey game with Bart is that Bart did not appear to be a hockey fan. There was... If you met Bart, there was probably very little about him that would make you think this guy wants to go to a hockey game. Um, Bart didn't know the name of any of the hockey players at any given time. uh, He didn't know if the Blues were doing well or doing poorly. When we watched the games on TV back in the dorms, Bart would never join us for those. He didn't know the names of any other teams in the league. He really knew nothing about hockey, but if you asked Bart, do you want to go to the hockey game with us? Bart would say, yeah, I'd like to go. If he was able to go, he would go with us. This is why Bart liked to go to the hockey games. Uh, Like myself, Bart was in the music program in college. He was a vocal performance major in classical music. In essence, Bart was an opera singer. And the acoustics in the arena, particularly in the upper deck, were phenomenal. And so, Bart would come to the hockey game with us, because he knew that we always went early enough that he could sing along with the National Anthem. (laughs) And in fact, if Bart was, you know, part of deciding which game we were going to see, he would ask us to choose a game against the Canadian team so that he could sing both the Star Spangled Banner and O Canada. (laughs) And so we would get to the game, and as I said, our, you know, we'd get the nosebleed tickets up in the, in the top, and the lights would go down, and the spotlight would come on the singer and, and the flag, and everybody would stand and remove their caps, and the organ would start playing, and, and people kind of mumble, oh, say and you. Right? And Bart, without fail, would just begin, oh, shake. <laughs> the entire upper deck would turn around, oh my goodness, where is that coming from? (laughs) And when we were done with the anthems, he would sit down and smile and say, can we go home (laughs) now? And we would say, no, Bert, we're we're not going home, we're gonna stay and watch the hockey game. And that was okay, he would sit and and get a hot dog, and, and, and if a goal was scored and the horn went off, he would yell, huzzah, but not really know exactly why he was yelling that. I imagine that if you were an alien from another planet who had never been to a sporting event before and you just happened to land your spaceship in the arena as the anthem was being sung, and if you looked around to try and discover, what, what is this hockey thing that people speak of? You might notice Bart. You might notice that he was standing and he was loud. You might notice that virtually everyone in that section of the arena was looking at him. You might notice that he was the most animated person in the entire arena in that moment. And you might presume that this, this must be what a hockey fan is. This must be the hockey fan par excellence. This must be what it is to cheer for hockey. But Bart knew nothing about hockey. He knew nothing about hockey. Why am I telling you that story? Well, partially because I miss my friend Bart. But there was another point here, and if I look at my notes, I'm sure I'll find it. (laughs) Oh yes, here it is. People who don't know how to love are experts on God the same way Bart was an expert on hockey. Miss the point entirely. Miss the point entirely. You see, the impulse to love is such a part of the character of God. John cannot conceive of someone who knows God but does not cultivate the impulse to love like God does. John put it this way in verse 8 he says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Later on, he, he returns to the thought and he states it even more strongly in verse 20. He says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. Black and white. There's, there's no middle ground here. We don't get to say we love God, but we don't care too much for his people. Now, some might be thinking, wait a minute, Dan, I'm calling a flag on the play, and yes, I know I'm mixing my sports metaphors here. But some might be thinking, Dan, mm Wait just a minute, weren't you the one who not three minutes ago was talking about people from other faiths? And weren't you the one who not more than a handful of minutes ago said the basis of those other faiths was the spirit of the Antichrist? Dan, that does not sound very loving to me. Weren't you the one who just said that? And if you're asking me that question, if you're thinking that right now, there's kind of three things I wanna say to you. The first thing is this, great question. That's an incredibly thoughtful question. You are doing your job, pat yourself on the back. Your job when you come to church and listen to the preacher is to think and ask thoughtful questions because you need to make sure that what you're hearing is the truth. So that question came to mind, good job, good on you. Second thing I have to say is this. I would point out in response to your question that here in 1 John, as well as in other places in Scripture, the command to love begins with the specific instruction to love one another within the community of faith. In other words, the Bible is typically speaking about the way love demonstrates itself in our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. So, while it's certainly important to love all people, the emphasis is really on our relationship with other believers and so I think what John has in mind here is that we need to be wary of people who claim to be godly but somehow can't stop gossiping about other believers or they're overcome with jealousy when they hear the success of another ministry or they never engage in any kind of service within their community of faith. I think that's what John is first and foremost talking about here. But thirdly, I would also point out that godly love, I mean, godly love, is a very, very robust idea that just doesn't always line up with what the world thinks love is. Godly love seeks the good of the other, but it doesn't avoid the truth in doing so. The world says that if you love me, you have to agree with me about everything and you have to celebrate everything about me. Failure to do so in the eyes of the world is hatred. But that's not what the Bible says about love. God's love, godly love that you and I are called to, is so much more powerful than that. Godly love supports without necessarily affirming. It cares without necessarily enabling. And it gives without necessarily empowering. Godly love doesn't have to compromise the truth in order to love well. And this is the kind of love that we live in when we live in him. But love like that doesn't come very naturally to a bunch of fallen human beings like you and I. Fortunately, God doesn't expect us to struggle in our own strength to do what we could never possibly do in our own strength. God has given us a helper. He has given to us one whose job it is to come alongside us in our weakness and to empower us to live as we were designed to live. And it's our attitude about receiving that helper that John identifies next. John says a genuine relationship with God always welcomes the Holy Spirit. Here's what John wrote verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. This is how we know, this is how we can be black and white certain about it. He has given us of his spirit. And from there, John goes on to describe how the Holy Spirit speaks through our lives and testifies to the work of the gospel. Now, I've encountered plenty of Christians, perhaps you have as well. Christians who are leery, of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) They seem a little scared of him, frankly. Uh, We're fine with Jesus, we're fine with the Father, but keep that Holy Spirit stuff at arm's length. Their logic makes a bit of sense. Why, why, Why do we need the Holy Spirit anyhow? I mean, if Jesus has already punched my ticket to heaven, aren't I good? I'm good to go here. Why do I need anything else? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? And with that question comes a hint of the real concern and worry behind it. Uh, if if I openly receive and, and welcome the Holy Spirit into my life, the way that one over there has openly received and welcomed the Holy Spirit into his or her life, um, he's going to make me crazy. I mean, can we just be honest here? Like, He's going to turn me into a weirdo, like that one over there. <laughs> Thank you, sister. If I get too deep into this Holy Spirit stuff, I mean, he's, he's going to make me raise my hands and worship. <sighs> he's going to make me shout, Amen, every 10 seconds in the sermon. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can hear him now. <sighs> If it gets really, really bad, I might start speaking in tongues. I mean, it's gonna be really weird. And in a worst case scenario, I mean an absolute worst case scenario, it it might cause me to dance. And nobody wants to see that. (laughs) Aren't these some of the concerns we have about the anointing of the Holy Spirit? I heard that, amen. Let's just, let's just get it all out on the table right now. Sometimes we're scared. Sometimes we're worried. Nobody wants to be a weirdo. Nobody wants to be crazy. And the truth is that any or all of the things that I just mentioned could happen to somebody when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says there's no need to be afraid. None of those things are the reason why God wants you to welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. I didn't put it this way in my notes, but I just feel like what I want to say to you is the Holy Spirit's not trying to turn you into a weirdo. If you're a weirdo, it has more to do with you than it does with him. He didn't come to turn you into a weirdo. Why, Why did he... Why did he come then? Because I know a lot of weirdos. Oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The Holy Spirit came, he wants to use your life to testify to the fact that the Father sent his son to be the savior of the world. That's what the Holy Spirit's up to. We don't have to be afraid of that. That's not scary. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to invade your life. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to baptize, wants you to be baptized into his power. Not to turn you into a weirdo, but to use your life to testify to the fact that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Holy Spirit is going to ensure that your life story becomes a reverberation of God's story. He's gonna do things in you and through you that are more wonderful than you can imagine. And a genuine relationship with God knows that. And so a genuine relationship with God doesn't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit because, and catch this, this is what John said, a a genuine relationship with God already knows the Holy Spirit. It's the people of the world that don't know the Holy Spirit. They're the ones that don't understand the Holy Spirit, and they're the ones that therefore don't welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. In his gospel, his... His memoir of the life of Jesus, this very same Apostle John recorded that Jesus himself had taught the disciples about this. Go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 17. You'll read Jesus saying, the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Notice that Jesus didn't say, you'll really get to like him once you meet him. Notice that Jesus didn't say, you know, if it's okay, I'd I'd appreciate it if you tried really hard to get to know him. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. He says, you already know him because he lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to worry about the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder what might happen if you were to be baptized in the power of the Spirit or if you were to encounter his presence in a new and a dynamic and a fresh way. You don't have to worry about those things if you're a follower of Jesus because if you're a follower of Jesus, newsflash, you already met him. You already know him. You already met him. He's the one who introduced you to Jesus. He already gave you the best gift you've ever received. So simply open your heart to the rest of what he has for you. Which leads us to review John's final observation, where he says, a genuine relationship with God always fosters confidence it always fosters confidence. The last few words in this chapter that we read together speak to the issue of our eternal confidence. John recognizes that many people live in fear that oh, somehow maybe I missed some of the fine print in the contract I have with God. I mean, what if, what if I'm not fully forgiven? What, what if... What if I'm not actually saved? And John says, when we live like that, everything we do is driven by fear. And he says, that's not healthy. That's not good. That's not what a healthy, genuine relationship with God looks like. He says in verse 8, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. The work of the gospel in your life is to make you perfect in love. And John is saying, when you live in fear, you are inhibiting the work of the gospel in your life. And that's not what a genuine relationship with God looks like.
1: And honestly, I think
0: that's really the essence of everything we've read today. That's what John has been trying to convince us of throughout this passage. Yes, on one hand, he's giving us these red flags to be aware of, these things to look out for when we hear people who claim to speak on God's behalf. He's teaching us to be more discerning in who we listen to and who we believe. He's saying, don't trust them if they're not willing to glorify Jesus. He's saying, don't trust them if they don't know how to treat brothers and sisters with godly love. He's saying, don't trust them if they don't welcome the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, and don't trust them if they're motivated by fear. But we can only listen to those warnings so long before I think we just naturally begin to worry about ourselves. How does my life measure up? Forget other people. Now I'm thinking about my own relationship with God. Is my own relationship with God genuine? Or have I made a huge mistake? Because if I'm being honest, there are moments in my life when I haven't glorified Jesus. There are long seasons in my life when I haven't glorified Jesus. and Some of them, I think I can explain away by saying, well, that was BC, it was before I met Jesus. But church, can we just drag it out today? I can't explain all my failures that way. Man, there are moments since I've given my life to the Lord where I've done sad and thought things that were not glorifying. I can remember specific thoughts I've had about Jesus that I've had to rethink because I got it wrong. Does that mean my relationship with God isn't genuine? While I'm at it, I can think about ways in which I recognize that I have not loved well. And I'm not talking about others. I'm talking about my brothers and sisters in Christ In my fallenness and in my brokenness. Man, I have tripped over that one more times than I care to admit. Does that mean that I don't have a genuine relationship with God? Can I be honest? I I haven't always been welcoming of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's moments when I've been scared to lay myself open to the spirit and his sanctifying work. There's moments when I've worried what will happen if, does that mean my relationship with God hasn't been genuine? I'm on a roll here, so I might as well just say it. There are definitely moments in which I still live in fear that maybe maybe I miss something and God is, is still angry with me. Some days I feel like, that, that, that little guy under the lightning bolt. He, oh, he's gonna chuck it. He's gonna chuck it. Don't stand by me. You might get singed, you might get burned. I'm just saying uh, there have been moments in my life where I've lived with all of those fears. I've heard the enemy whisper all of those things to me. Does that mean that my relationship with God is not genuine? I'm going to answer that question for you, but I'm going to ask the worship team to come up first and get into place, because in just a moment, they're going to lead us in a song before we receive communion together. What if, what if my relationship with God isn't as healthy as I thought it was? If you've ever wondered any of those things, if you can identify with any of the questions that I've asked over the last minute or so, if you're feeling a little squirmy right now because you're feeling like, man, is he reading my mail? I think that what John has said to us today is something that John really, he's saying to you. He's saying to me. I think his message for us is that in Jesus, we don't have to live in fear any longer. Putting Jesus at the center of your life today is the appetizer course that guarantees your place in the dinner banquet of heaven. Uh, Let me me tell you what I mean there. I don't know if I was hungry when I wrote those notes, but. (laughs) About a month ago, Sue and I went to a a wedding, and this was one of the fanciest weddings I've ever been to. We were down at the Drake Hotel in downtown Chicago, and everything, everything was as fancy as as I've ever seen. And when we got to the reception, the the banquet hall in the Drake, the doors were closed because they were still setting up. But the Lord has given me a, a, a gift, And I could smell the (laughs) sake. And the sweet aroma rose to me as incense. Right? You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. But we weren't allowed in in the banquet room yet. We were out in this foyer area where they had tuxedo-clad butlers with trays. Of the most wonderful little things you have ever in your life seen. Oh my goodness, appetizer, appetizer. If it wasn't wrapped in bacon, it was dipped in a honey glaze. And I'm telling you, all glory be unto God. It was fantastic. They had a sushi bar. So, yeah, Some of you unsanctified folks are going ill, but I'm telling you, it was phenomenal. And we're, we're eating all these appetizers. It was a friend of Sue's, so it was a bunch of her girlfriends were there. And, and we we're all gathered around, you know, like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm going for this. And, but the whole time I'm thinking, I need some of that steak. I need some of that steak. The bacon wrapped whatnot is all well and good, but I need some of that red
1: meat right now.
0: Can you imagine being in that, in that foyer, wondering, what if I get kicked out? What if they carve me? What if they come through here and go, you, out of here, <laughs> wedding crasher?
1: Right?
0: But I, I, I'm, I'm sampling of the appetizers knowing that just behind that door there's a banquet table, and somewhere in there, I haven't been there, I haven't seen it yet with my own eyes, but I know that I know that I know that there's a placard somewhere on a little plate maybe with a salad next to it, and it says, Mr. and Mrs. Daniel and Susan Martins. Thanks be God. <laughs> and every little appetizer that I grab is more and more assurance that there will be sick. There will really be sick. Are you with me
1: on this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here's how this applies to the kingdom. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we said the eternal life, the Zoe life, the blessed life, the full enriched life that God designed you for? It doesn't start after you die. Eternal life starts now. Folks, we're in the lobby. We're in the lobby. Okay, someday you and I are going to sit in the banquet hall of heaven and they are going to serve steak. And and if if vegetarians get into heaven, and I'm not sure about it, but if they do, (laughs) then there's going to be tofu for them, that'll be fine. But there's going to be steak for us and it's going to be medium rare and it's going to be seasoned to perfection. But here's how I know that I'm getting in. Because there's an angel with a tuxedo and he's got a bacon-wrapped scallop. And he's it to me now. The blessings of God that I see in your life and in my life today are the confident deposit that we have on the eternity that lies just behind those doors. There is a placard on a plate in heaven with your name on it, and you know it because you can smell it. All right. But the Holy Spirit has provided an appetizer buffet for you. Can you live in that confidence? Can you live in that confidence? So when the preacher says, oh, we need to live for Jesus today, it's, it's, it's not because he's trying to make people, you know, you must be assimilated. You must look like this. You must live like this. He's saying, come into the lobby. The banquet hasn't started yet, but my goodness, are the appetizers delicious. I don't want you to miss out. My goodness, are the appetizers delicious. And they just kept coming. And they just kept coming. And they just kept coming. Oh, the coconut shrimp are empty. No, they aren't, because here comes another butler. Where's <laughs> 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 the hot dogs? The blessing. There <laughs> no
1: <on>, hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Good beef. <Jeez. laughs>
0: The blessings of God in the life that he has for you this side of eternity, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. They just keep coming. And they aren't merely for you to fill your belly and be silly like me. They're so you know that there's a dinner waiting for you. There's a dinner waiting for you. And the chef, he knew you were coming. I'm going to ask the team to lead us in a song of celebration over Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, our cornerstone, our sure foundation upon which we stand in that confidence, that confidence, that confidence. Would you worship with the team, and then I'll come back and we'll receive communion. Yeah. that you receive, but he didn't design you to do that once and then just be good, he, he knew that you would hunger again. He knew that you would hunger again. And so that's why Jesus said, as often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for the appetizers of this life, which point to the banquet of eternity. We thank you, Lord, that in design it's all the same meal. It's just that it starts in bits and in pieces here. And so we do exactly what you have asked us to do. We receive together of this bread in remembrance of our Savior Jesus. And in the same way, when the meal had ended, he took cup. And he said, take it and drink. And as often as you do this, because you're going to need more than just a sip, you're going to be thirsty again tomorrow. So as often as you drink of the blessings of your faith, do so in remembrance of me. Let's receive the cup together. Notes on the bulletin today. You have a sermon note sheet in front of you that says something to the effect of a genuine relationship with Jesus always. I'm sorry, a genuine relationship with God always. And then it says glorifies Jesus. It it always cultivates love. It, It always welcomes the Holy Spirit. It always fosters confidence. Those are good notes. That's the way I intended that outline to to look, but I want to invite you now to kind of read into what John really has has said to us, and and not review that outline and say, "Oh my goodness, is that me? Is that uh-oh? I could be in trouble here. I could be in trouble here." I'd invite you instead to, in your mind, rethink the way the words on that outline. Because what it's really saying to to those of us that are in Christ, it's saying, because of your relationship with God, you can glorify Jesus. Because of your relationship with God, you can love one another. Stop telling yourself you can't. You can. Because of your relationship with God, you can welcome the Holy Spirit. He's not holding out on you. You can welcome the Holy Spirit. And maybe most important for some of us today, because of your relationship with God, you can live in confidence. You can live in confidence. Know that that is the blessing that God has for you today know that that's the big ramp scallop that just went by you. Would you reach out and would you grab it and would you put it on your napkin? And would you nibble on it a little bit? Knowing that when you're done with it, there's going to be a little chicken skewer coming by. Or a barbecue meatball. Because the blessings of God are without end. The blessings of God are right now for everything Need. You might walk out of the, I pray that you walk out of this room today filled. Filled. You're going to be hungry tomorrow. But God knows. And He has something else for you. Let's just receive that right now. Father, thank you for preparing this banquet for us. Thank you for the many blessings that we receive in this life. Teach us to identify them, to see them coming and to grab hold of them as they arrive. Teach us not to question uh, that they're too small or they're not enough, but rather, Lord, to live in faith that they come again and again and again, that they are without end, just as we need And teach us, Lord, to recognize that every blessing we see and identify, recognize is nothing but a deposit guaranteeing the banquet which is yet to come. Mm. We wanna be the people that live in that kind of confidence. Bless us with that this day. we pray in Jesus' strong name and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. amen.